0: disciples. Okay, so I need to explain. Because just now the the slide was flashed up there during the pre-service prayer. I said, no, no, no. Don't put it up because you've got to explain it. Uh, Otherwise, it it just sounds so terrible. So I believe that all of us know that the word gay used to mean carefree. Because you've already cast all your cares on Jesus. It it means happily excited. To be excited for what is to come in in the new year. And the word radical comes from the Latin uh, word uh, radicalis, which means it relates to a root. So going back to the roots or the fundamentals as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Of course, now gay means something uh, very different, and radical has come to mean extremism or or, or deviance or or extremely deviant. Uh, But that's not the case, okay? I'm using gay as carefree. And radical as coming back to the roots is words. What about the word Christian? Think of the names of 10 Christians you know. Quite simple, right? You just look around you, oh, so many. Now, think of the names of five disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just five. Why, why the pause? Because through time, the meaning of the word Christian may have changed. Actually, it's been very diluted. Um, But has the meaning of the word disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ changed? The word Christian is mentioned only three times in the Bible, twice in the book of Acts and once in 1 Peter. But how many times does the word disciple or matētes in Greek appear in the New Testament? 252 times, compared to three times. Now, while the word Christian has picked up some very bad associations uh, after 2,000 years, I like to think that the word disciple, meaning learner, still has high high fidelity to its first century meaning. For many months, I have had this in my heart now, and I have this sermon title in my head, And and today, I believe, is an opportune time to to preach it. And I want to issue a call to radical discipleship in PPH, to going back to the roots of what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now another word, the word Lord. What is Lord? Some use it as a punctuation mark in, in their prayers. You hear that a lot. It's not a bad thing. But it is not a punctuation mark. You right? cannot think of anything to say. You just say, Lord, Lord, and then while well, the next idea comes into your head for prayer. Some use the Lord as a name. Is it a name? The Lord Jesus Christ? It's not. Right? Jesus is a name. Christ is not even a name. Christ is anointed. Lord is who he is. A title. Some use the Lord as a term of endearment. Dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord. But what is Lord? Lord is a relationship. It defines a relationship between a disciple and his Lord. If you're a disciple, you have a Lord. If you are the Lord, you have disciples. So at its root, it describes a relationship between a disciple who obeys and the one who is to be obeyed. There is a disciple, there is a Lord. And three times the Lord Jesus said something about how we cannot be His disciples. Okay, I'm afraid I have to start this New Year's sermon with something negative. Three times, you cannot be my disciple. And what are these three times? Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we recognize this verse as, a, as hyperbole, right? Compared to the love that we ought to have for Christ, our love for parents and children and, and brothers and sisters will look like hatred. But some of us love our children so much that we are practically led by the nose, led, led, led by our children through the nose. We'll do anything uh, for them. And so if the child decides not to go to church, we say, okay, okay, Daddy say, okay, this Sunday we're not going to church. Even I am not going to church. A child decides if the parent should go to church. And some of us are tied to our parents' apron string, so much so that we dare not get baptised for fear of, even as an adult, for fear of upsetting uh, our parents. Luke 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple i'll talk about this verse later and the third verse luke 14 or so verse 23 so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple renouncing all that we have the time that we have the talents that we are blessed with the treasures financial resources that we have we renounce it meaning we give it back to the giver it belongs to him in the first place and there's more and this is my text for this morning. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus has finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Scary words. It tells us that God is not impressed with words, and how many times you call Lord, Lord, or how endearingly you call him dear Lord, dear Lord. Secondly, God is not impressed with religious works, even like prophesying or casting out demons or miracles or or mighty works as it is translated in the ESV. And thirdly, God is not impressed how big your house is, how big your income is, how big your church is, if it is built on sand. Instead, God is looking for those who are wise, who lay a good foundation upon the rock. He is looking for those who does the will of the Father, those who hear it, those who obey it. Now, is that a radical thought or not? So, what is the will of the Father? Many Christians will say, I want to know the will of the Father for my life and what is His will for me. But the will of the Father is simple obey. And I really like the Lord Jesus because He's a bottom line kind of a guy. And He distilled the will of the Father down to two. One is the greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 onwards. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then what? And then the great commission all authority has been given in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus speaking, and go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is a, there is a reason for the psychedelic colors which I will explain later. And I know that many churches and even organizations, uh, Christian organizations, organizations spend a lot of time working out vision and mission statements. Some even use uh, uh, Christian or church consultants, and often they are helpful. Often it is helpful to have such statements as these two localized or contextualized or, or modernized or justified. But in essence, any church, any Christian organizations, vision and mission must be based on the greatest commandment and on the Great Commission. And so for PPH, we recast it. We recast these two commandments and commission into our five M's. And so our purpose in red is to magnify God, to glorify Him, to love God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. Our practices, you will find this in your bulletin every Sunday. Uh, If I do a test now, I may not get 100%... uh, (laughs) Uh, marks for everyone, but nevertheless, membership in in orange is to grow in Christ-likeness, to to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. Ministry in yellow is to serve others, to love our neighbours, and mission in green is to reach the lost, making disciples of all nations. Actually, I would dearly love to have a sixth M, except that it will become even more difficult to remember, but the the, the sixth M I would really like is multiply. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, that means you obey, and then you teach others to obey, and that is multiply. And I think maybe we just include that as part of maturity, because as a mature person, you will multiply. So I have mentored many young men through the years, but sad to say, I do not remember telling my mentees to mentor someone else. It's just like, it's not in the PPH vocabulary. And we're supposed to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And therefore we have perhaps become, have a feed me culture, feed me, mentor me, feed me. And then we ourselves feed no one. But we receive, we obey, we receive to reproduce, to multiply. Now, you may say that, ah, oh, all this is very nice, but how do we translate, even if you have simplified it into five or six M's, how do we translate this into a life of radical discipleship? I think, first of all, we need to open our eyes, we need to examine ourselves and to see how far we might have fallen as I would say, purported disciples of Jesus Christ, we might have been Babylonized as we uh, uh, covered Daniel last year about that whole culture and system of the world, Babylonizing us, so that we follow the patterns of the world. If we cheat and we lie like everybody else, and recently I heard somebody say to me, a Christian, and that uh, actually I had to lie, la. I had to. You had to? If we curse and swear, like everybody else, taking the name of the Lord in vain. If we seek status and status symbol, like everybody else. If we are easily offended, if we become unforgiving, we have bitterness in our heart, like everybody else. Or we say, I'm like that one. ah. I just speak my mind. Too bad if you cannot take it. If our words are ungracious, like everybody else if we harden our hearts to the poor, and perhaps the think that you are poor because you are not hardworking. And if you are like everybody else, then who really are we? And who is the Lord? And whose disciples are we? Who are we really following? Leviticus chapter 18. Old Testament, long time ago, in the days of Moses. Says Verse 3, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you live. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules, keep my statutes, walk in them. I am the Lord your God. Coming to the New Testament, Mark chapter 7, verse 6, these people honour me with their lips, but their heart... Is far from me. Lip service. You know the lingo, you know the jargon. We may say things like, I felt led to buy this expensive car or this expensive jewellery. When asked to help out in church or CSC, we say, let me pray about it. But we know deep in our hearts, we have no intentions of praying about it. When someone is in need and we can help, we say, I'll pray for you, and then promptly forget to pray about it. Might we be practitioners of a superficial form of Christianity? We only pay lip service. Literally, the only thing that moves is our lip, not our hearts, not our hands, not our feet. So there is a sense, as Winston shared with us, uh, that came from C.S. Lewis, a sense of contented worldliness where I think we ought to have a sense of yielded holiness. You shall not do as they do. You shall not be like everybody else. You shall not conform to the pattern of the world. You shall not be Babylonized. You shall not be contented with holiness, but you should be yielded to holiness. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, is, what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform. Do not compromise. Since the day of Moses until now, God has been calling out His disciples, do not conform. Do not do as they do. Do not be like everybody else. So like dead fish, we are swimming or drifting with the currents of the world, when in fact we should be swimming against the current, the pattern of the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 exhorts us to examine ourselves and do examine ourselves this year at the beginning of the year. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Are you even a Christian? Are you even a disciple? Test yourselves, or do you not realise this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examine yourselves. So most, most first sermons of the year will call for a commitment right, or a recommitment. But let's be radical. Let's go to the root. I am making a call for, for crucifixion. Crucifixion, not commitment. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, this famous verse that many of us will know, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It all starts with the Son of God who loved me, who loved us and gave himself for us. And so then, we have a divine privilege to be crucified with Christ, our Lord, our Master. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, "'To all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself,' take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 14, 27, we read earlier, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot, cannot be my disciple. Someone once said that we'd rather minimize or misunderstand intentionally or manipulate the word of God than to obey it. We like a loving Heavenly Father, but omit that He is holy. We like to think that basically we are all pretty decent people, but we avoid using the term sin. In fact, it's not even in our vocabulary. You You might want to think of last year, how many times you have ever used the word sin. Could it be that we've never used the word sin? We think that we are reconciled to God because we have prayed to accept Jesus Christ but we do not want to take up the cross to follow Him. When Jesus said, take up the cross, those who heard it in the first century, they will have an unmistakable image in their mind. What does it mean to take up the cross? When you see somebody take up the cross, what does it tell you? That He is going to die. He is going to be executed. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I die Daily. 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. I think all of us would have heard of this WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? What about WWGG? What would glorify God? Every Sunday we see it in our bulletin as um, PPH purpose to glorify God. God to magnify God and I have heard that some of us feel that this is, this is too highfalutin you know it's not, it's not relatable what do you mean I, I glorify uh, God uh, there's no practical tools it's, it's impractical but I believe that it is a very very simple four worded question that can guide us daily as radical disciples we simply ask God what would glorify you the most and then we die. Because our very essence, every cell in our body and every thought in our mind does not want to glorify God. We'd rather go with the world and have a good time. So if we are to glorify God, there is this battle with our sinful nature that does not want to do it. So you might want to ask, I don't know, does it glorify God for me to get a tattoo, for instance? Okay, not, not a very practical thing here. Not so many of us have tattoos, but I've come across people ask, Pastor, Pastor, can get a tattoo or not? <laughs> so, I ask, does it glorify God? Maybe, you know, maybe. If you are going to be a missionary to some obscure tribe in some corner of the world where everybody has tattoos, and then you do a tattoo, Jesus loves you. Ah, Maybe. There is a God-glorifying tattoo in that instance. But if you're just going like like everybody else to fit in with the pattern of the world, then I say, it doesn't glorify God. Um, Does it glorify God to drink uh, vintage whiskey? Uh, Whatever, 60-year-old or 25-year-old mock whiskey. Okay, you figure it out. Does it glorify God if I were to click this website does it glorify God if I'm so angry, I want to send this text or this email to, to someone? Or this one is so funny, it's so uh, irreverent, uh, tweet that I want to retweet, retweet. Does it glorify God? Does it glorify God when we judge other people by their actions, but we excuse ourselves because, ayah, in the bottom of my heart, I only have good intentions, Does it glorify God if you're quick to to criticize others who, who years ago, who bought and sold slaves hundreds of years ago? But in future generations, they may be criticizing us for how we treat our domestic helpers today. Does it glorify God if I have no intentions whatsoever to come to church on time? You can preach till the cows come home, but I will come when I come. Does it glorify God if I Absolutely no intentions of loving my enemy. In fact, I want to curse them all the more. Does it glorify God? What really happens when we read the Word of God? If we, if we read the Word of God on a consistent basis at all, and I hope it is not just to do a tick off that I have done my quiet time today, I have read the Word of God, but I have no intentions of obeying. And on the parable of the sower, you remember the, the the guy who sowed in different kinds of soil, Martin Luther. Said this about the one: those who hear the word of God but do not bring it to practice or subject, um, bring it under subjection. He says, to those, to these belong those who hear of God, hear the word but do not bring under subjection their flesh. They know their duty but do it not. They teach but do not practice what they teach, and are this year as they were last. This year, as they were last. So, 2019 passed all too quickly. 2020, are you going to be in 2020 same as you were in 2019? Because 2020 will pass just as quickly. Already five days have gone. Okay, We are left with 360 days. Will you be this year as you were last? And so, I issue again a call to radical discipleship. The old president of the usa abraham lincoln he was brought to a church service and then at the end of the service the friend who brought him to church asked him so what do you think of the service and abraham lincoln said great worship good preaching good exegesis of the word good delivery very good illustrations but the sermon failed and so this friend said why did the sermon fail He said, because the pastor did not ask something great of his people, there was no challenge. And so can I ask, can I make a call to radical discipleship? How do we want to do it? Let's do it this way, okay? A practical tool. We apply three Ts to five Ms. Okay, that's more for you to remember, but I think this is quite easy. Let's embark on a one-year radical experiment, Okay? to be radical disciples, what resources do we have? Three T's. Time, talent, and treasures. How do we put it against our purpose statement? Now, there are two things to note when we want to apply our time, our talent, and our treasures to these five M's of five membership, maturity, ministry, and mission. Two things to remember, both from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that we have to die to our selfish and sinful nature because by nature, we simply do not want to do it. Die to it, crucify the flesh. And secondly, because the Son of God loved us and gave Himself for us. So, one to die and then to love. And as we put this matrix up, let's first of all ask WWGG, what would glorify God? And that is to love the Lord, our Lord, our God, with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. And ask not, what is best for my career this year? Who are the people I should network with this year? Ask not, what is best for my bank account this year? How to make the most money in the shortest available time? The first question we need to ask, the last question we need to ask, in all the decisions that we make this year, is what would glorify God? How do I apply my time, my talents, and my uh, 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 treasures, my talents and skills, my treasure, my financial resources, to glorifying God? To do that, we need to die, and we need to love. And we can break it down this way. Firstly, let's talk about membership. How do I apply my time, my talents, and my treasures to the family of God in PPH? Don't just be an occasional late Sunday church comer. Sunday church attender, participate in the life of the church. Join a cell group to love and to serve. Don't fall for Christian consumerism, like sermon tasting here, next day go to another church, taste another sermon, and then critique the sermon. Don't be only seeking to meet our needs and asking that, oh, but this church doesn't meet our need. that church doesn't meet our need. Hopping from one to another. Be there as part of the family to love and to serve. Because that is what a mature person does. Right? So we jump to maturity. When we think about maturity, we, 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 we very quickly think about the spiritual disciplines, right? About uh, uh, Bible reading, prayer, um, or daily quiet time. About tithing. Tithing. of gross income, not net income, okay? Not net of after you pay your maid, after you give stipend to your your father and mother, and and then 10%. It's not that. First fruit is first fruit. And tax savings belong to God. (laughs) Tax savings, if you donate to PPHTSC as part of our tithe, does not belong to us. Fasting. Join us in this season of prayer and fasting this week. How to fast? To fast, for some of us, is like dying. Okay, We need to die to our desires to have three square meals a day. We need to die to our desire to just sleep that one more hour and to spend it with the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Commit to join in our once-in-two-year church camp in June this year. I don't know if We've been putting it in the bulletin for many, many weeks now. Have we actually applied for leave already? Don't just say, when i got a time to spare, I will join. Spend that time. Don't spare that time. Spend that three days of leave. Actually, it's a four-day camp, but you only, only need to take three days of leave, I think. Because it'll be on discipleship. We're still working out the details, but it will definitely be on discipleship. How to be a radical disciple of Christ. And spend that few hundred dollars, okay? Some of us will say, oh, so expensive uh, for a family of four and all that. But we spend more money on other things than that. But when it comes to church camp, we think it's very expensive. Maturity is to love your neighbor as yourself. More than that is to love your enemies, to forgive, to do a drastic spiritual surgery on our pride. Why do we not love our enemies? Because we are too proud because we have this bitterness in us. And I talked just now about a 6M, multiplied. It's good to to want to be fed, but we are fed to feed others. We are blessed to bless others, and we make disciples. Now, ministry. We need to crucify our flesh, which wants to be served and not served. Right? We serve because the Son of God loved us and gave Himself for us. So be a volunteer in CSC. Good. Ask what role you can play to serve the community. You know, I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed when I review uh, CSC and find that we have very, very little ground-up volunteers. What I mean is, if you have a special skill or a special interest, I don't see too many of us going to volunteer in, 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 and, and go, hey, Ross, I think I can do this, you know, uh, I, I think I can do that. I, I don't see enough of that. Some of us have special talents in, in cooking, in sewing, in certain games, in certain uh, hobbies. Share it. Serve the community. Minister among the Men's Network, the Women's Ministry, the SNF, Steadfast and Faithful. We talk a lot about passing on the torch to help the young. 2020 is a time to do so. But as the older ones, in the Men's and the women and the SNF, we need to reach out. To the younger ones, they're not about to, like, uh, uh, come to us. And then it's very, very important not to talk down to them, right? So my way of serving the young is to just give you a lecture uh, once in six months. And I've already served the young. It's about building a relationship. It's about dying to self, because you need to, to build the credibility, build the, the, the bonding, that build that relationship. And some, I know, have already joined Uh, The YACGs, and it's it's, it's not easy because I think many of the adult CGs meet only once in two weeks and sometimes people are travelling and this and that and we probably only meet once a month. Okay, If you add it all up, maybe we only meet 10 times a year or 12 times a year. But the YACGs are very faithful. They meet every week. So you've got to be spending that time. A disciple is a learner. Don't say, especially in this service, that I'm too old. I'm too old, it's too late for me already. Now I just look after myself. There is this guy, Edward Mote, who lived in uh, 1797 to 1874, I know. it's a very long time ago. He became a pastor, a Baptist pastor at 55. 55. And then pastored for 21 years until he was 76. What was special about him was that as a pastor... He also wrote many hymns, more than 100. One of them we will be singing later on as a closing song or or the modern version of it. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. At 55, finally, mission. We're going to have two mission Sundays uh, next month, another two I think in August and where we will lay out all the ways you can serve in missions. Go on a mission trip. Start a project like sponsoring the Batam Slum Children Christmas Camp. I thought that was a a fantastic idea from the cool club, but we can do a lot more. One cell group can easily anchor a project like that. Um, I know we practice good spiritual disciplines like thriftiness. I know that we are thrifty people, so we save and we save and we save. But if you save and you don't spend for kingdom's sake, actually it is hoarding. Because all you do is you look at your bank book or your bank statement and see it growing and you feel very happy. But the money that goes in never goes out. It was never spent for kingdom purposes. So spend. Spend. Spend till it hurts. We have many, many children in in the countries that we serve who are still waiting for child sponsorship. If you're already sponsoring 10, make it 20 this year. If you're sponsoring none, make it 1. No, make it 5. Oh, make it 20 to catch up with those who are already spend, uh, sponsoring 20. You can provide food or snacks. Our youth ministry, our cool club is always hungry. Okay? Don't just wait until the youth camp to provide, I don't know, ice cream or, or some special snacks. You can do that anytime. Give till it hurts. That's what King David did, right? When, when they wanted to offer him some things, I will not burn offerings to the Lord my God, that cost me nothing. That's in 2 Samuel twenty four twenty four. You're planning for holidays this year? Uh, will it be a luxurious cruise this year? Actually, I have one uh, in April. Okay, only four days. Crucify it or cut it short. Plan for an annual mission trip abroad. You know, we are called to be radical disciples because we ourselves have been saved for eternity because the Lord has rescued us, put us into a rescue boat. And there are many exhausted Christian workers busy rescuing, drowning people in Babylonian waters, pulling them into rescue boats. They are short on resources of time, of talent, of treasures, which we may have. Meanwhile, a short distance away, there are the cruise ships overflowing with food, with space, with resources, with luxuries. And there are so many more that you can save. But those on board the cruise ships say we are already sleeping two persons per cabin. We cannot crowd ourselves anymore. Uh, And we have our own problems for fine dining. Uh, Imagine they only give us three choices they don't have Coke, zero. You don't expect us to climb out of our cruise ship, this big safe ship to, to those in dangerous waters on those dinges to save people to you. But don't you recognize that we ourselves were once on a lifeboat? But over time, we, we have gradually converted into a cruise ship filled with the same kind of passengers. Passengers who are entitled who are comfortable, who are consumerists. And that's why I think so long as I'm alive, PPH will never have a church camp in a cruise ship. We did. (laughs) We've talked about it in the past. We've talked about it, but I think the image is just so wrong. Okay, maybe you can put up a paper and give good reasons why it ought to be. And so we need a radical realignment I just love this picture. Realignment. Okay, from one generation to the next. Realign to the five M's. Make it intentional. And you know, actually, I really hate or dislike the word intentional. Because many churches are using it. It's as though if you don't preface your statement with intentional, then it's just an accidental and unintentional thing. And whatever PPH do is unintentional, accidental discipleship. But please make an intentional effort this week to be an intentional and to make an intentional and radical realignment of your time, your talents, and your treasures to magnify membership, maturity, ministry, mission. Be intentional in our love for the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. And be intentional in our radical desire to crucify the self, to die to self daily. So once again, I make a call to radical discipleship. I'm going to make demands on your time. Be punctual at least on Sundays, be regular in a cell group, be sacrificial in service. I want to make demands on your talent. Don't waste the skills and the experience that God has given to you. Serve others with it. I'm making a demand on your treasures. Give till it hurts, till that selfish, carnal nature in us dies within us. Try it out this year. See if by living as radical disciples, you will not find more satisfaction than the sacrifices you think you have made, more fulfillment than whatever disbursements you might have made. See if God's word is true, that it is more blessed to be, to give than to receive. That the blessing is greater for the blessed than the blessed. What is the most radical thing about God? I think it's it's just three words, that God is love. He doesn't just love us and give this and give that, but the whole essence of God is love. And our response is love. If we do not respond in love, then if I do not preach this in love, even though some may say this is like a heart-hitting sermon, then I am like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's got to be based on love. This year, we will have the privilege of sending four doctors into the mission field. I think very few churches will be able to do that in one single year. Winston and Sherman will leave us in March for Nepal. Raj and Lois will leave us in August for Timor-Leste. And while preparing for this uh, message, I chanced upon a sermon that I preached uh, on the 13th of June, 15 years ago, 2004, 13th of June, uh, in, in uh, uh, BBTC, uh, if not, not PPH. But of course, we, we all know that nothing happens by chance, right? So I think it was God intentionally placing this across my computer screen. It is so radical and so challenging that I want to put it on your screen and read it out in full, intentionally. Last night, I was the oldest guy, that's me, I was the oldest guy in a cell group of 19 young people. A 23-year-old medical student challenged us to the core of our being. He came back from a, mich- uh, from a month in a remote hospital in Kenya, a, play- a place called Kapsowa. He said, I have one life to live. i got a five-year bond I will honor. I'm going to get married, drive a nice car, live in a nice house. But I am going to give all these good things up if God wants me to have something better, something to give him the greatest glory out of this one life. And then this guy pointed his finger at me and said, Pastor, you keep me accountable. You scold me. You pull me back. You hold me to this calling that God has for me. Don't let me go. Seldom have I had a 23-year-old point his finger at my nose and challenge me this way. Guess who said that? He was 23 years old, 15 and a half years ago. I think you already know, I don't want to tell you. Keep the suspense. For those in the first service, for those of us here, one life to live, nah. We might have one third more to go. Or some of us, a quarter more to go. Some of us, maybe only five or ten years more to go. One life to live, how do we live it? a quarter of a life left to live, how to live it. And can I say that I think God has intentionally reminded me to keep all of you accountable for your time, for your talent, for your treasures, to scold you, to pull you back from Babylon, to hold you to this calling as radical disciples, to never let you go. I showed this chart last uh, Sunday. Of our average attendance, okay there's a lot of stuff there, if every single one of these church attendees respond to a radical life of discipleship, we will have a total of 425 disciples willing to die to self, willing to serve with love. The parallel version of what our text this morning. Uh, on on Matthew 7, is found in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 verse 46 asks a very personal question. He says, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Would you want to continue to be a superficial, sanctimonious disciple or Christian, building your life on what is religious sand? Or would you rather be radical, serious instead of superficial, sanctified instead of sanctimonious, build your relationship with the rock of ages than on religious sand? You know, just as I'm calling you to radical discipleship, I know that I fall far short myself as a pastor. So I want to call myself, and I'm going to call all pastors, like elders and deacons, to radical leadership, radical pastoring. This will be my 20th year as pastor. I hope maybe I might have a third more to go, probably shorter, I think. And this reminds me of the story about what happened in a barber shop. People were gossiping about the pastor. So the Bible said to the guy whose hair he was uh, cutting, say, so here you got a new pastor in your church. So what happened to the old one? And so the guy said, well, the old one, nobody liked him. He was always telling us to be serious as disciples, to give our time, our talent, our treasures to glorify God. Then the Bible says, well, do you like the new pastor? Then the man said, oh yeah, we loved him. Great things are happening and lives are being changed in the church. And the Bible said, really? What does he preach? And the man said, he preaches that we are to be serious as disciples to give our time, our talent and our treasures to glorify God. (laughs) Then the Bible says, but that sounds exactly like the old pastor. Then the man says, ah, but this one says it with tears in his eyes. I always say I have a problem with my tear ducts. I wish I could like conjure up tears, but I hope you can see the heart. That our time is short. You know, the last few weeks I've been looking at the obituaries. So there were days when it's like 103, 97, 98. I feel so happy. Not bad. Average is going up. And then there was one day, I think it was last Thursday. Everyone was in their 60s. I'm 61, I'm gonna be 62 this year. Really, time is short. Only 360 days left in this year. Today, it may sound that I have like, placed a very heavy burden on you. Almost like we have to work for our salvation. Obey, obey, obey. But, you know, obedience does not achieve salvation, right? But obedience is the evidence of salvation. Examine yourself to see if you are really in the faith. Are we just Christian in a very loose, superficial form of the word or are we disciples? And let PPH be full of evidence of the love of God. So from 2020, I would like to be this new pastor. I would like to be this new pastor. Would you like to be a new, radical, radicalized Disciple, if you will. So now that we have all been properly radicalized, let me invite the worship team to come. And we sing this song that was written in the 1700s by a man who was brought up by parents who ran a pub promoting drunkenness. And he got saved at a young age. He worked as, I think, a cabinet maker. A carpenter, just like his Lord Jesus, but at a, at fifty five years he felt that he should study to become a pastor. I'm not saying that yeah, the, the final calling of every person should be a pastor, but he made a drastic change in his life, wrote this hymn that we are now singing. So whether you are a cabinet maker, a shoemaker like William Carey, a teacher, a doctor let's return to roots and heed this calling to a life of radical discipleship this year, look through that matrix of how you're going to apply your time, your talents and your treasures to the various aspects of loving God with all our soul, our heart and soul, our mind and our neighbour as ourselves and obeying the great commission to make disciples so we try to make it easier in the 5 M's do that Come let's rise and we're gonna sing